0: So strongly defined The basket maker, basket maker, basket
1: maker, Welcome to Trails, Tales, and Spruce Tea. I'm your host today, Shalyn Jodry. I met up with Kathy Martin to hear her stories. Kathy is a member of the Millbrook First Nation. She was the first Mi'kmaq filmmaker in the Atlantic region. She has a diverse career with many different roles in the arts as a leader, crafter, and mentor. Today's music is sung by Kathy Martin. The song she sings was first written as a poem by her sister, Mary Louise Martin, to honour Gullalin Gould from Wagaba. I met up with Kathy in a university hall to chat about her life.
2: It's sort of been the theme lately of my work. Yeah the whole basket-making world. It's not like the basket-making thing, it's the fact that so many of our people for hundreds of years were basket-makers. And mm-hmm. prior to contact weavers,
0: mm-hmm. maybe not
2: necessarily mm-hmm. splint-makers, but reeds and, and other you know rushes mm-hmm. of, of um, woven packs. Whenever I um, hold a basket, especially an old basket, um, it it speaks to me. When you think about who made this basket, even if you don't know, because many of them are not signed, and pe- old basket makers would know who made that basket. But my, many of them you don't know, so I hold them, and and I... The spirit of the basket maker is in there and all those who held that basket. But definitely the one that was making it. What were they thinking? What were they doing? Where did they make this? What was in their minds? And sometimes, you know, it's like a message or a story that comes to me about um, that basket. I learned lots of... um, my teachings and how to be who I am and my identity from basket makers because I was the Atlantic Indian Arts and Crafts Director in 1983, 4, 5, 6 for the Atlantic Indian Arts and Crafts Corporations and my board of directors were all mostly basket makers like Margaret Johnson, Rita Mm -hmm, Smith mm -hmm. really strong and wonderful people that had a lot of beautiful knowledge but they were also fantastic basket makers.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I I always loved baskets. My grandmother, my mom's side were basket makers and the Silo boys from Cape Breton. But the one thing I know about our people is that our artists were supported pre-contact. They lived as artists. They they weren't called artists cuz we don't have the word art in our language. Mm-hmm. But They were supported to be creators, to create. Mm -hmm. And so that was what they did. Artists today have to struggle all the time with making a living and being creators. So as Luke Simon once said in the film I made on Mi'kmaq Malaseed Artists, a National Film Board film, he said, you do some work to satisfy the pocketbook, and then you do your own work to satisfy your soul. I would like to think we should be able to satisfy our soul and those that like that work will buy it because it comes from your soul.
1: When I I write stories and poems, they're medicine for me. They're stories I need to get out. But then after a while I start to think of the poems and the stories that the people need to hear. And then I start creating some for them. I still create for me but I also create some for them.
2: We are first students and And we're trying to find our way what's our you know in a, on our journey, but I always believe that our people are natural talent, have natural abilities to perform singing, acting, dancing, because we're storytellers yes. yes, and we know how a story has to you know how are you going to reach your audience through being a great storyteller, and storytelling is in singing and is in acting is in film is in teaching I was born in Florida I my dad was in the Marines you know at that time you weren't able to vote you couldn't go in a pool room you couldn't buy liquor but you could fight as a Marine it didn't make mm-hmm. sense in Canada so I was influenced very w- much by my dad and my mom's belief in human rights mm-hmm. and not accepting the way that they were raised by an oppressed regime of Canadian government and Indian agents and RCMPs. And, mm-hmm. and the biggest one, game wardens. They were my dad's family's worst nightmare mm-hmm. because they had to survive, and the Treaty of 1752 was not valid, so they had to hide to survive and hide to hunt animals and fish all those years even though they knew they had this treaty. So I was raised by some pretty strong people and some great storytellers. I graduated with a degree in acting, I became a clown and a puppeteer um, for a couple of years. I learned mime, I taught mime to some to Picto landing groups. We had a Mi'kmaq theater company. We performed the yeah. Member 2 Siga de the baptism of Member 2 down in uh, Port Royal in 85. And that's how I began the ability to start to sing and perform publicly, but it was a slow, long process. I used to work, I worked closely with Peter Christmas, Dr. Peter Christmas of the Mi'kmaq Association of Cultural Studies for a long time. And he came to me one day and he said, the National Film Board is interested in doing a film. This will be the first time ever the National Film Board wants to do a film on the Mi'kmaq and Maliseet. And here's a list of all the subjects they want, but it has to be apolitical. And so this is the one they think they want, a film on Mi'kmaq and Maliseet artists. So could you go help me find a director, a native director, to bring so they can direct this film? I said, okay. So I looked everywhere, and there was very few native directors in our region, any, none. And I would ask the artists in the region, would you want to be a director? No, I want to be in the film. So finally I went back to the film board after about six months of looking, and Jermaine Wong was the executive director of Atlantic region. And she finally said, Kathy, you know so much about the subject of contemporary art in the Maritimes and historical art. And a, fil- a director is just someone who has the vision. And you get the greatest crew from the film board, so mm-hmm. why don't you direct it? You asked me how did I choose filmmaking. Yeah. It made so much sense to me that...
1: sounds like it found you.
2: It found me like a lot of things have found me in my, in my life. Um, my children found me. I'm so grateful to have had two children. And what I saw with filmmaking is, one, it's a real natural transition, more natural than writing, to go from the oral tradition to recording like we're doing or film ma- making films. Mm-hmm. And that was one reason I really wanted it, because I saw films made of my granddad and of my dad, and I thought, I could have done that better, better. Because I know them and I know what to ask them. Basketmaker
0: Basketmaker. Leaving my basket
2: up in filmmaking and being with basket makers who' taught me how to sing chant, they taught me all kinds of native songs and lots of funny jokes and old <laughs> stories. Um, I just found this is the powerful medium that I can send these stories into the future as said by those storytellers. Mm-hmm. And that's what I found quite confusing and difficult in my elementary, high school, and especially university, and my master's, trying to find any material that identified with us. Anything. I know, I know. So I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start finding ways to record as many as I can and so that in 100 years or 200 years, when someone's looking... who they are, they will hear from some of the people that, you know, you and I have recorded.
1: It's given me these goosebumps just imagining 200 years from now, our descendants listening back to us. Yeah.
2: Well, part of the goosebumps is that, that there will be 200 years from now. I hope so. And... I would imagine our ancestors didn't think that was going to happen a few times in the last 14,500 years. So I'm only hoping that there will be 200 years from now, and our great-great-grandchildren or relatives will be watching this or listening to this. Mm -hmm. Because right now is such a critical time. Knowing our old stories and knowing our language is the only way we're going to move forward and have a future for those generations ahead.
1: Just in our own people's history that there were times that our recent ancestors, they might not have made it, they might not have been able to pass on what they have. And the fact that you just sang that beautiful song on a drum, we're talking about baskets, even though I don't speak the Mi'kmaq language either my my children actually learn more Mi'kmaq language in their preschool in the community you know, than I ever did so we're trying to flip that process and and reclaim our language and so just these possibilities are the things that give me hope and I think well, we have to hold on to that. I was actually going to ask you what you know what is your vision or hope for the future?
2: Well I came into the world in a time that you know we. There was no vote yet in this country Mm -hmm. in 1958. Um, The next forty or fifty years of my lifetime, the impact of colonization, of the denial of our treaties, of the denial of language, of our ceremonies, that impact was the most on our generation. We're the lost generation, they called us because here we are we have parents who and grandparents n- not mine but denied the right to be who they are put on reserves not allowed to practice their way of life so we end up here in 1960s and 70s and 80s charged with the responsibility to help those who were oppressed and silenced our parents our grandparents who were taught not to rock the boat right. don't yeah. argue We were in a time when that was changing. And so that's what we represent, this time period. And my grandfather, he suffered a lot, and so did my dad, but they laughed a lot, and the elders laugh a lot. And so that was one of the medicines that we have and still have today, to laugh through it, to help us get through it. Basket maker. I've spent the last couple years, well, last ten years, learning a lot, of, as much as I can, about the Halifax Explosion, not knowing that my own grandparents, my great-grandparents, and my grandmother and her whole family were in the explosion. Mm. Never knew that ten years ago. Started helping do memorials every year for ten years at the site.
1: Oh, you did that before you knew? I yeah. I thought you were reading that because... No.
2: I would drum while the bells across the harbour rang at the Needham memorial site. And I would drum on our side while they would read the names. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been this journey of, like you said earlier, it just finds you. It finds you. Yeah. A couple years ago, I, I lost my son in a car accident. He was 18. And everything I had worked for in my life to make a better future for my, my children and everybody's children. All my faith in everything I learned in Native spirituality, everything, just like a bottom of a basket, it just went out the bottom of my basket. And I have taken me six or seven years to try to find, find my way in this new world I'm in. And um, it's a long journey. But this is the stuff that helps me. The spirits are present with us. Our ancestors are here. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm counting on that. But losing your son, your child, there's, there's no word for it. There's, there's no healing on it. It's just a new life you live. Now I'm able to talk to him and and look for him and, and see him in, you know, nature and things, and that's because of my upbringing in our indigenous way. You know, in the end, that's really what drives you or protects you, is love, I think. I know, I don't think.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Trails, Tales, and Spruce Tea. A special thank you, Well, all in, to our guest today, Catherine Ann Martin. I was your host and producer, Shalin Jojri. Namultis.